Welcome to Camping with Owlbears. This is the Lonely Adventurer. Well, today we are going to do the impossible, my friends. We are going to define the OSR once and for all. There will be no need for future discussions or debates after this podcast. Now, to anyone joining us for the first time who is unfamiliar with that particular acronym, the OSR stands for Old School Renaissance or Old School Revival and is largely talking about games that seek to emulate older versions of Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, Some folks may find that a little controversial because there are other equally old games that people are possibly attempting to emulate, but it largely... What makes the OSR possible is another fun acronym, the OGL, the Open Gaming License, which allows independent creators to use the core mechanics of Dungeons & Dragons to create well any game they like, but I would hazard a guess that the large majority of those created are one version or another of Dungeons & Dragons. Now, I had recorded a very long and repetitive and boring podcast about the different styles of play and mechanics and concepts that really define OSR versus new school gaming. The idea that exploration is paramount, uh, the sandbox nature of games, the idea of story being emergent in play, the idea of simplified or streamlined rules, and so on and so forth but I don't you know the more I think of all those things I don't think they are exclusive to the OSR I've played many games with streamlined simplified rules that are not OSR I've played plenty of games where the story is emergent and the point of the story is to explore the world and uncover its mysteries through play so nothing exclusively OSR there either I sort of agree with the idea that I think was put forward by Ray Otis from Plundergrounds that one thing that certainly separates OSR fantasy games from say the current version of Dungeons and Dragons is the idea of DIY versus corporate. Now we don't mean corporate in terms I guess well Hasbro the game company is a corporation. The idea that Dungeons and Dragons is created by Uh, A think tank of corporate designers is ridiculous. Of course, there's what, I believe, three primary designers supported by a dozen, two dozen folks in marketing and and, uh, distribution and managing the Twitch channel and other social media and and whatnot. But it's it's this core idea that at the end of the day, Hasbro's version of D&D certain decisions are out of the hands of their creators or subject to approval by someone else. Um, Decisions to some degree or another are being made by committee. And what you then end up with inevitably is anytime, the more cooks you have in the kitchen, the blander the meal is at the end of the day. Uh, Which, well, it sounds a little harsh now that I say that, which is not my intention. I think 5e is an awesome game. I like it a lot. But it is because Hasbro has certain... Uh, profit goals, targets it wants to hit, and certain distribution numbers, it has to have mass appeal. And having mass appeal always means 
that you are a bit generic and broad in your appeal. Being broad in your appeal means you are not doing anything particularly risky or exciting. A perfect example is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Most of the movies are pretty okay. They're, I think, I would say all. I don't want to say all because there's a lot of them and I can't remember half of them anymore. Uh, but they're competently made. They are successful. They have a beginning and a middle and an end. And there's nothing wrong with them. There's also nothing particularly memorable about most of them. I guess the exception in my mind would be Thor Ragnarok. And I think that was the weird movie that it was only because I don't think anyone cared anymore (laughs) about Thor. And it just happened to accidentally turn out to be, in my mind, my opinion, the best movie they've made. Certainly not the most important, but the uh, the most interesting. Anyway... That takes us over to the DIY side of things, and this idea that what the OSR is at its core is a bunch of individual creators bringing their specific vision for what made classic gaming so much fun. It doesn't matter to me what specific rules they're using if they are 100% faithful to the the rules in basic Dungeons and Dragons or original D&D, that's kind of irrelevant. That's that's just personal taste. What they're, as long as they're getting the flavor, the feeling of the, you know, things were more dangerous because your characters were a bit fragile. And uh, oh, see, I'm going into it. I'm making a list of things that are OSR. Forget it. (laughs) I'm backing right out of that right now. Um, It's just this idea that it is somebody's personal vision that they are bringing to market and it's an amazing world that we live in now where for all the problems and strife and uh, stratification that social media create is creating in our society these days it also means that individual creators can connect with their specific little niches around the world and put out successful books and in some cases turn them into their primary jobs uh look at the success of old school essentials the beauty or the beautiful box set that came out for the black hack second edition these things cannot exist in a pre-internet world and if you disagree with that idea just look back to the 90s and very early 2000s when the original open gaming licenses were coming out and you had a slew of fantasy heartbreakers that cost people a lot of money to make that no one ever got their eyeballs on and there may be some amazing ideas and concepts in those books but we'll never know right they're just they're mysteries to us so I guess I should offer a clarification when I say a pre-internet world. What I really mean is a pre-smartphone social media world. Obviously, computers have been around for quite a while, but before 2007, before the iPhone was invented, it was much more background noise in our li- most of our lives. The only time you had access to the internet was uh, when you were in a specific room in a specific place and could get onto a desktop. And now we all walk around with our external brains forever in our back pockets and we are never more than a thumb swipe away from connecting with the rest of humanity for all, it's, for all the good and bad that that brings. Um, 
that is the world we're in now, and that is what makes, I think, the OSR possible. Let me backtrack for a minute uh, to the idea that Hasbro's D&D is kind of bland when compared to uh, an individual creator's version of D&D or their, their dungeon crawl, whatever, their OSR game. It's a little weird to say that a rules system is too generic or bland, and that is not what I'm getting at. Uh, I, like I said already, I like the rules for 5e. I think they're really good. It's the presentation, it's the packaging, it's the implied setting that I'm talking about. If you could find a fundamental difference between the various pieces of extremely competent and professional artwork in any of the five ebooks and what you will find on a magic the gathering card uh you will i'll be impressed because to me like they're so they're so similar that they're just they're just interchangeable and as as magnificently rendered as they are many of them are just they're uninspiring because they look like everything else and then you get into a book like The Veins of the Earth, for example, and you've got a lot of artwork in there by Scrap Princess. Um, some people like Scrap Princess's work. Some people do not like their work. But you can't say it isn't evocative. You can't say it isn't really interesting. And it doesn't. And you definitely can't say it doesn't evoke emotion in you. It 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 triggers some kind of a reaction that for most of us the work in uh, the 5e books just does not. Uh, another good example is uh, the Black Hack. Uh, I'm flipping through pages frantically here trying to find the... Pr- I know there are several artists in that, but is it a uh, cover, cover, cover? Cover art. Carl Stajernberg. I know I'm saying that wrong. I'm sorry, Carl. <laughs> um, but you, you look at the artwork in the Black Hack, and it immediately tells you what kind of game that is. And I don't know if Carl is Skull Fungus or Skull Fungus is Carl, uh, but they did a lot of work in here as well uh, and also have some great stuff on their Instagram and uh, the Internet in general. They have their own game, the name of which I'm forgetting right now, but they they have a very specific aesthetic they're, they're, they The art is telling you, the look they're giving you is telling you what the game is about. And, and that's what I was getting at, which is the, the generic nature of 5e. It could literally be anything else. If someone just showed you a piece of art, it could be from some JRPG. It could be from Magic the Gathering. You don't know that it's, it's D&D. It doesn't evoke anything that is specifically D&D. Uh, so that's what I was getting at with the, uh, the, the kind of the the blandness you get when there are too many cooks in the kitchen. See, and I think you can't, you can't understress the importance of that, that, that look, that feel, that uh, individual voice that is a key component to me for what the OSR is because that's what you were all trying to emulate, right? You're looking back at uh, BX, at the original versions of D&D, it's they invoked a feeling in, th- largely through the rather eclectic, very always interesting, always evocative, sometimes terrible, sometimes brilliant artwork in these books. And it was, I think, it's less about the actual the rules, and it's more about just the mind space that those visuals helped you get to through the rules 
that is kind of core to this idea of what the OSR is. And I think the most successful of the OSR books that are out there are drawing on that. You look at uh, Swords and Wizardry, and uh, there's a, a Dungeon Crawl classic, one of the many <laughs> covers versions of Dungeon Crawl's classic, where you've got these great... Uh, uh, I keep wanting to say Ray Otis, <laughs> these Errol Otis uh, covers on them. Like Otis's work is strange. Like I'm, I'm an art, like I, I, I'm an illustrator professionally. I, I teach uh, art at a local uh, university and I, I look at his work and I see a lot that's just broken in it, but just, you know, it's just, it, it's wrong on a technical level. And yet it is, so right on an emotional level and I think that that is the thing that emotion is really what the OSR is about it's kind of recapturing that strange weirdness that 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 moment in gaming history when literally anything was possible uh, expedition to the barrier peaks there's a you know, there's aliens there's robots there's like these things that you, that are just they're just they're verboten almost in mainstream fantasy gaming today because the, the 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 genre has evolved enough grown enough that it has started to kind of create these artificial partitions and categories that were not there in the early days and it's that kind of free booting spirit that is really what's important to defining what is an osr product and what is not in my opinion I uh, just realized I need to correct myself. I think I said Errol Otis did a cover for DCC. I have no, he might have, I don't know. Uh, I was definitely, though, thinking of the Peter Mullen cover from DCC. And Peter Mullen is a great example, uh, just like Skull Fungus of a, a, and Scrap Princess, of a modern OSR artist who captures the just the weirdness and the wide open possibilities that were there in the early days of gaming and that i think is at its core what the osr is trying to get back to so peter mullen not errol errol otis uh peter mullen's man he's one of my favorite new artists that i've discovered in the last year or so I, that guy's work is just blows my mind love it anyway that's my correction back to it so i can feel myself starting to uh mentally wander around the room like the confused all old man that i am so let me start to wrap this up. To me, the thing that defines the OSR is this independent, passion-driven desire to create something that is both unique to you, the creator, but also accessible to the wider community of people who are into these creator-driven games. Even though the rules between the white box and Lamentations of the Flame Princess and the Black Hack have a lot of variation in them, they are all coming from a core language that we all understand and speak. And it allows, it's a community of individual visions for gaming. And I think that is the most important part. That's the thing that is OSR. It's, I, ugh, I keep resisting the urge to use the word this punk rock uh, kind of aesthetic because we're not very punk rock people, most of us, uh, at least not the gamers I've met. 
uh, or that I am, but that idea that you are just, it's, it's a, it's a fancy modern day version of sitting down at your kitchen table and making a zine and then taking it to the library to make Xerox copies of it and handing out bits, you know, handing them out to people on the corner or at the next show you go to or the next gaming day event. It's just that on a larger scale. And it's this, this desire to not just participate and consume, but to create and add something that has meaning to you to the larger kind of community and conversation of gaming. And at the end of the day, for me, that is OSR. Cool. I think I'm done. Peace out, lonely adventurer. <laughs>